crazy. Dude, that video is bonkers. I love that. So uh, we are uh, in the middle of a series called The Gift where we're looking at uh, the nature of God's grace gift to us and how that impacts and shapes our lives. Uh, we are in. We are looking at this because we're we're recognizing that in the Christmas season we talk a lot about gifts, and it's important for us to recognize the nature of God's gifts towards us. And one of the ways that we do that, as we mentioned a few moments ago, is through singing. And by the way, didn't Sophie do a great job with that song? So she's going to be here. Uh, she'll be here on Saturday night. Uh, for the Christmas patio concert. So if, en- if you enjoyed uh, just a little bit of time that we had with her, she'll be leading the concert uh, this Saturday out on the patio at 6 o'clock. A huge thanks to uh, the, the Rock, Alice Cooper Solid Rock Teen Center. Uh, Sophie's, uh, that's how we know Sophie from there. So uh, we love our friends at the, uh, at the Rock Teen Center and the work that they do. Uh, in, on your way in, you should have seen tables there at the back. Uh, so if you didn't grab one of these, no problem. You can get them after the service. Uh, but we uh, are doing something we started last year, and we're handing out Christmas ornaments, and we're asking you uh, to actually uh, write out something, a, a memory of 2020 on the ornament. And then we're hanging these on the tree in the lobby. We are doing this as a memorial of thankfulness and gratitude. I know that 2020, for many of us, has been a season of chaos and confusion, disappointment, frustration, anger, but God has also been at work in our lives throughout this year. And so we want to capture that. And so uh, this is the question uh, that we're asking you to consider and to write on these ornaments. Uh, What is one gift that God gave you in 2020 that you're grateful for? So as you think about what God's been doing over the last uh, year, what is one gift that God gave you this year that you're grateful for? This uh, This could be something tangible. This could be a relationship that's healed or reconciled. This could be a lesson that you learned. I don't know what it is for you, but I know that God has given to us many good gifts. And it is good for us to respond with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. And so uh, you can leave them anonymous. You can put your name on if you want to. We just encourage you throughout this series, if if the Lord brings a gift to mind that he's given to you that you're grateful for, if you'd write it down on that and then uh, hang them out in the lobby. Uh, on the Christmas tree that's out there. And as we walk in, for those of us that are able to be here physically, it will serve as a memorial of what God has been up to uh, this year. So again, you can grab these on the tables in the back. And there's pens. There should be pens in the back of the seat in front of you or pens in the back of the room as well. We're uh, looking in this, oh, I forgot to mention, for those of you that are online, I'm so sorry. For those of you that are online, uh, we want to be able to uh, make sure that you're able to participate as well. And so if you go to the website, dsbc.me slash 2020 thanks, you can go to that link, uh, type out the answer to the question, and one of our team members will fill out a, uh, uh, one of the physical ornaments and hang it on the tree on your behalf. And so you can go to that website, fill it out, and we'll uh, get that on the tree for you as soon as possible. We'd love to hear from you, church family, whether you're in person or online. So uh, we're continuing on in our study, as Danny mentioned just a few moments ago, of Ephesians chapter 2. We're looking at the grace of God. And, and by the way, uh, if you didn't get a chance to participate in last week's sermon, that's totally fine. But I just want to strongly encourage you to visit our website, dsbc.church, and listen to or watch the sermon from last week, because it's going to serve as the foundation for the rest of this series and especially today. Uh, but I did want to give just a quick recap uh, that the idea of God's grace is it's, it's wrapped up in this idea of gift. 
It's wrapped up in the idea of give. This is a dad joke gold I'm giving to you this Christmas season. The, the idea of God's grace is wrapped up in the idea of gift giving. And it comes from this word, uh, and I, I generally don't uh, prefer to do too much uh, study in the original languages. It's, uh, it's not something that's especially my strong suit, but I am, I'm really striving to learn. Uh, the book of Ephesians and the New Testament, uh, majority of it was written in Greek, and much of what we read is translated into English. Uh, but in the original Greek, you have this word, so we're going to Greek out for a minute. Merry Christmas, everybody. The, the language of grace comes from this Greek word, charis. Now, you guys have heard this word before, actually, even if we don't recognize it. Have you ever heard the phrase or somebody being referred to as having a charismatic personality? You guys ever heard that? Like, or someone having charisma? Right, that all stems from that language of charis. Or uh, if you grew up in a liturgical tradition, and, and by the way, I know not all of us grew up going to church. I know for many of us, we're still in the process of tr trying to figure out who Jesus is and how this fits into our lives. And uh, whether you're here in person or online and you're still trying to figure out who Jesus is, I'm so glad you're here for this series because it gets to the very essence of Jesus' teaching life and what he has for us. And so I, I really hope that you'll join us for all parts of this series uh, but if you grew up in a liturgical tradition, a liturgical church, you may have referred to a what's oftentimes called in our tradition communion or Lord's table. You maybe have referred to it as the Eucharist. So Eucharist. So that idea of the Eucharist is Lord's table. It's the reception of the giving of thanks. This idea of charis, this, uh, this language of God's grace or charis, it has, it's all wrapped up in the multi-part process of gift giving. If you uh, think about how we do gift giving, even in our culture, you notice that uh, there's the gift itself, there's the heart or attitude of the gift giver, there's the giving of the gift, and then there's the reception of the gift on the receiver's part and their response. And charis, this idea of, uh, that often gets translated as grace, it has wrapped up in it all of these different aspects. It's in the range of meaning. It's got all these different aspects of gift giving, the gift itself, the favor, the attitude. It could also mean grace or graciousness or thankfulness. And so not only can this language of gift or grace, charis, be understood as the gift itself, it also entails the heart of the gift giver and the heart and the response of the recipient. It's a very dynamic word that has a wide range of meaning, but when we think about God's grace, his grace gift towards us, we often think uh, that it is uh, wonderful, that it is, in fact, amazing. In fact, there's a song called Mediocre Grace. <laughs> Mediocre Grace, how lame the sound. Is that the song? I'm thinking of a different song. What's the song called? Amazing grace, excuse me, I'm so sorry. Yes, that's right. We say things like God's grace is not just normal, like the grace gift of God, it is amazing. Why is it amazing, you might ask? Well, as you know, there are multiple aspects of gift giving or grace gift giving. And as we think about God's uh, gift being amazing, there's four parts that we're looking at during this study. Uh, number one, God's gift is amazing because it is, number one, given without regard to the worth of the recipient. We leveled in on this 
last week. And so if you'd like to know more, make sure you check out that sermon online. But his gift is also amazing because it is not given out of obligation. We're going to zoom in on that a little bit today. At number three, it is super abundantly lavish, or as the great theologian Keanu Reeves refers to it as, whoa. It is also amazing because it is effective in changing things for the better. It's effective in changing things for the better. If you give someone a car that does not start, is it a good gift or no? With, maybe there's some sort of nuance that I haven't thought about, but the, the, the reason for the car is to get you from A to B. The, the reason that the good gift of a car is good is because it's effective in changing things for the better. Only if it works and works as it was intended is the, good actually, is the gift actually good. And so we're going to zoom in actually on the fact that it's not given out of obligation and the fact that it's effective in changing things for the better today. I want you to think about gift giving in our Uh, culture or the various cultures that we're all from. Again, we're a bunch of misfits bound together by the love and grace of God made known to us through Jesus, which means within this church family, there's a ton of different cultures. And we don't, uh, we're not afraid of that. We don't, uh, we don't diminish that. We celebrate that because that's what the kingdom of God is doing, is bringing together of all these cultures. So in the culture that you grew up in and in the culture that you find yourself today, I want you just to think about gift giving. There are many of us who have seduced ourselves into this idea that gifts are only good if they're given freely and without obligation. And by the way, and and I've done some reading on this over the last few months, and it's played itself out in my life. I want you to know that that's a very Western, post-Enlightenment idea. The majority of cultures and through the, you know, space-time history, the majority of cultures and the ways of approaching gift-giving was much more nuanced, much more robust than just a gift that, that there's no strings attached, that there's just nothing else to it, it's just a gift. In fact, we experience it today even though we kid ourselves. We think that we're giving gifts freely, but we're really, oftentimes, we're really not. I want you to think about when you have felt obliged to give a gift. You ever felt that way before? Uh, Have you ever been um, like with somebody on Valentine's Day and it's like you you wake up and you're like, "Ah, it's Valentine's Day today and I have a date with somebody tonight and we're going to have to like go out to a restaurant and then I am going to be expected to produce something. What is that called? A gift. On your uh, birthday, you have a party or someone hosts a party for you. And everyone who's been invited to that party, what do they feel obliged to bring? A birthday gift. In fact, if you are the host and you do not wish for people to bring gifts, you have to conquer over that obligation by saying out loud, Please do not bring gifts or in lieu of gifts, make a generous donation to Caleb Campbell's Amazon Christmas list. (laughs) The seed has been planted. That's all I have to say. Books are expensive, Uh, right? So we feel obliged. Now, if you are an employer and you have an employee that's worked for you for 15, 20, 25, 30 years and they resign or they retire in a healthy way, and you throw a party for them, what is everyone expecting you to produce for this individual? A gift. 
Hmm? You see, we oftentimes feel obliged. And the ob- by the way, the obligation does not diminish the gift, does it? Uh, by no means. That's some weird enlightenment thing. But we give gifts in this way. But here's the thing. One of the reasons why we sing that God's grace is so amazing is because it is given without regard to the worth of its recipient. Meaning, God does not say, what have they done for me lately, and now I will give them a gift. Rather, he is the prime mover. He's the first mover in the giving of the gift. He is not factoring in, or he is not uh, looking at your life and feeling obligated to give himself for you. One of the reasons why God's gift is so amazing is because he does not do so out of obligation. If you want to see this in vivid detail, look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 9. Watch this. You guys ready? For you are saved by TV timeout. Have you ever heard the idea that the language of God's grace in the original Greek, oftentimes referred to as charis, have you ever heard the idea that God's grace is wrapped up in this idea of gift-giving. If you have not, I would encourage you to go online and listen to this very sermon 10 minutes ago (laughs) when we talked about God's grace gift being wrapped up in this idea of gift-giving language. Now, I want you to see it. And, And once you see it, you can't unsee it. You ready? For you are all saved by? Through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is... There it is, in black and white. Well, there's multiple colors, but you know. Not from what? Works, so that no one can boast. Here's what the author is saying. God does not look at what you are producing for him and then decide to give you his grace. Do you see? This is the difference, by the way, between a paycheck and a gift. If you work for an employer who you do work for, and then every week, two weeks, month, whatever your commission structure is, they, they give you a paycheck... They are obliged to pay you based on your work done for them. And if they don't pay you, you can take them to court, right? But if your employer does not give you a Christmas gift, can you take them to court for that? No, you see the difference between a paycheck and a gift that's given. Many of us are operating under the idea, and this is, by the way, this is like a lot of American religion. We're operating under the idea that if, my, if I can do more, ba- more good deeds than the bad deeds I've done, then God will owe me. What's that? That's paycheck salvation. That's standing before the Almighty and saying, I did enough good stuff to warrant you paying me uh, heaven or at least the absence of hell or whatever that is. This is a dramatic, radical distortion of what Jesus taught us. In fact, I, don't, I, I think we can go so far as to say it's the opposite. That idea that I can earn God's love for me is so destructive. It's a prison cell. I mean, just imagine if, if in any child-parent relationship, if the child goes and cleans their room and then comes to their parent and say, now do you love me? Look at what I did for you. Is that a healthy, loving relationship? No, that's a transactional relationship, isn't it? I do this for, I do A, and, and you in response do B. You owe me, right? 
And, and the author of Ephesians 2, the Apostle Paul, he's, he's saying that's not how it works. It's not your works that you take to God and say, do, do you love me now, Dad? Hmm? Now, in, uh, at least in this, I'm, you know, I'm very uh, familiar with the American church, especially the evangelical church, not so familiar with the evangelical church around the world. But I know that at least in the West, there can be a tendency to take this to an extreme and distort it. Here's what I mean. There can be this tendency to say, because God does, n- does not regard my works or my lifestyle, my attitudes, my actions, in the giving of the gift of salvation, therefore, be- because he does not give regard to my worth or my actions or my attitudes in order to give me the gift of salvation, therefore, God does not care about my actions, my attitudes, my perspective, my lifestyle. And I want to say that that is an extreme view, and I don't think the Scripture teaches it, and I'd like to show you uh, why. Uh, I think that at the very least, we can look at Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, and, and give an answer to this question. So I'm going to pose the question to you. Does God look at our deeds or works, our lifestyle, and our attitudes in order to determine whether or not he will give us his gift of grace. You tell me. According to Ephesians 2, I think the answer is no. Does God look at our deeds, our lifestyle, our attitudes in order to determine whether or not he will give to us his grace? I think the answer is no. I'll prove it to you. You are saved by grace through faith and it is not from yourselves, right? You didn't do the thing. It is God's Gift, not from works so that no one can boast. Okay, I've got a follow-up question. Does God expect my deeds, my lifestyle, and my attitude to be transformed by his grace gift? I think the answer is yes. And I'd like to show this to you, right? So what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we don't fall off one side or the other. We're not going to fall off on the side of the horse that says, uh, God gives to me his grace freely, and therefore has no regard for my actions, attitudes, lifestyles. But we're also not going to fall on the other side, which we just talked about, which is my actions, attitudes, and lifestyle have to change so I can earn God's love. Do you see? We're going to to try to balance these two truths. By the way, in the balancing of these two truths, we find great joy and great freedom. Here we go. Uh, This is the very next verse. I'm going to actually go back just for a second and read this. I'm going to read this all in one whole. For you are saved by... Grace through faith. And it is not from yourselves. It is, it's not from, so that no one can what? Boast. For we are, this very next verse, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for, which God prepared ahead of time for us to do. Okay, so do you see what the author is doing here? He's not saying God pays no regard to your works or your attitudes, your actions, your lifestyle in order to give to you his free gift of salvation. Therefore, it doesn't matter. No, what he's doing here is he's holding together this beautiful truth that God does not give his good gift of salvation to you with regard to your works, your worth, your attitudes, your lifestyle, your action. But in the giving of the gift, he expects it to do work in you. Now, we're going to zoom in on this. And then we're going to spend some time in uh, reflection 
on what I think is probably one of the most profound uh, portions of Scripture that tees this out in Philippians chapter 2. And then we'll, we'll go live in light of this truth. I want you to see, and this, this for me is, uh, it, it's mind-blowing. I just, I just want to zoom in here, right? What did God factor in? What of my doing did God factor in to give me his free gift of himself, of his grace, of his love? His own goodness. God did it because of who he is, not because of who I am. But I want you also to notice this. This is what, how God views me. For, and I'm just gonna, I'm gonna personalize it. I wanna encourage you to personalize it as well too, okay? For I am his workmanship. I have been created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared for me ahead of time, for me to do. I don't know about you, but I am bound to the space-time continuum. You? I really am intrigued by, like, time travel. Uh, I've read some of Stephen Hawking's work. He said that he doesn't believe time travel will ever existed, uh, will ever exist because he would host birthday parties and invite any p- future person to come and join him. And before he passed away, nobody took him up on the offer. Maybe because... Uh, Nuclear physicists don't throw great parties, but I don't know if that's it. <laughs> we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good work. My lifestyle, my actions, my attitudes are, are to be shaped by the character of Jesus. Let me put it another way. What does good works look like? It looks like a life like Jesus lived. When my, when my life looks like Jesus' life, that's good works. A life of good works. But I want you to see there's something more than just me free roaming around in the space time continuum wondering what the good works are and how it all works. I want you to see something here. Who prepared, first of all, who prepared the good works? When? All right, let's get real. So that must mean that that in as I'm walking around in my normal life, that there are opportunities that I've been presented with or will be presented with that are opportunities to live like Jesus that God prepared ahead of, like, right now. Maybe even in, like, if you want to use the phrase, eternity past. Does that not shape my outlook on my day? Like if I wake up every morning with the hope-filled expectation that God has prepared for me ahead of time opportunities to live like Jesus in the moment, is that going to shape my day? I was talking to a friend of mine. She was sharing about, she, she had one of these situations, maybe you guys have had this, where uh, some family members had gotten sideways with, she, she had gotten sideways with family members. And it, uh, did any of that happen in 2020? I mean, oh my gosh. Um, and and it's, so it's like that, only like 10 times on fire. And she's like, I don't want to see them. I don't want to talk to them. I don't want to listen to their stupid voice or listen to their stupid ideas and their accusatory and, and the, the relationship's wrecked, but, but, but they want to have a meet and, and I'm praying, God, get me out of it. You guys ever been there? She was reflecting on this principle that God has 
prepared ahead of time opportunities for us to live like Jesus in sometimes, oftentimes difficult moments. And she thought, okay, so if God only ever gives to me good gifts and he's prepared this opportunity ahead of time for me, maybe I need to look at this difficult situation as a good gift that God has given to me, an opportunity for me to mimic Jesus, to look up close and personal and see what Jesus might do in this broken relationship and maybe even to witness a miracle of a restored relationship. And so my posture is going to be, God, what do you have in store for me? What good gift do you have in store for me? And it changed her outlook. It changed her approach. She recognized that this may be one of those opportunities that God has, right, prepared ahead of time for me to walk in and to live like him. And it changed her posture. It changed her outlook. You guys ever been around kids at Christmas time? Yeah. And you start putting the boxes under the tree. And inevitably, what question do they start asking? What is it? And they pick up the box and they shake it violently and you're like, ah, it's a puppy. <laughs> Have you ever been around kids when you want to go on a surprise trip, you want to take them somewhere but you don't want to tell them where it is? You guys ever been there? And, and inevitably, before the car even starts, what question is being asked? Where are we, where are we going? Now, here's the deal. I want, in, in most circumstances, I, I, I don't want to say it all, but those are the same question. And here's, I think, what the question is. The assumption of the child asking what's in the box, right? What is in this package? What, what is in this gift? And the, the question of where are we going, the, you know, the assumption is, is that the parent is a good parent who gives good gifts, right? Do you see that? That's the assumption, right? They're giddy with joy. They, they can't wait to get wherever you're going. They can't wait to open the gift. Their working assumption is, is that you have not given them a viper, unless you're a fan of vipers and that's something that you would enjoy, right? The assumption, the working assumption is, is that mom, dad, whoever it is, they give good gifts. And the question is a hope-filled anticipation of the good gift that they're going to receive from the parent. Do you see it? And it may be good for us, maybe even every day, maybe especially when we face hard circumstances, meetings, conversations, situations, to ask what do you have in store for me? Right? Isn't that the question the child is asking? What gift, what good gift, whether it's the location or whatever's in the box, you're asking the parent, the child is asking the parent, what good gift do you have for me? And they're full of hopeful expectation. How might your life be radically shaped if we approach every day, every moment, especially difficult situations, with a hope-filled expectation that God has prepared for me an opportunity to mimic Jesus and to see Jesus working up close and personal in such a way that though it might be difficult in the moment, I will look back on it as a good gift that God has for me or that he had prepared for me. How might our attitude change, our expectation, right? The way that we frame even conversations. So I want to encourage you to pray this prayer. God or Father, what good gift do you have for me today? And then see if he doesn't reveal himself to you. What would it be like to live as a people who do good work, who live like Jesus, not out of 
a need to try to earn God's love. He's freely given his love. He's freely given his grace. He's freely given himself. Oh, by the way, you guys ever heard uh, John 3.16? I, I know it's kind of one of, it's one of the more famous uh, scriptures. It, it goes like this. For God so loved the world. Now, TV time out. Have you ever heard of the idea that God's grace is wrapped up in gift language? For God so loved the world that he gave his good gift. But what ultimately is the gift? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever should believe in him to turn from their sin and to turn to him. It's called repentance, right? You're going to turn from going your own way, turn from sin and turn to Jesus. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have life eternal. What is ultimately the good gift that God gives? It's himself. And if God gives such good gifts as his own self to us, how much more might day to day our lives be shaped by the smaller gifts that he gives to us and puts in our paths? And if we were a people who lived in light of this truth, how how might we shine the glory of God? And yet, even as I give that example and I talk about broken families and I talk about difficult situations, there are many of us who are wondering how, how do I get the power to live like this? How do I get the power to live like this? Well, uh, the person who wrote Ephesians also wrote uh, other books in the Bible. One of them is called Galatians. And I just want to zoom in on Galatians 2.20 and then we're going to reflect on Philippians 2. So watch this, okay? Remember, what are we asking? We're asking ourselves the question, okay, if I'm going to posture myself as approaching every day, looking for the good gifts that God has for me, even the really difficult situations and the the pain that I don't want to take on, I can view it as a gift, an opportunity to mimic Jesus, an opportunity to see Jesus up close and personal. But how do I get the power to do it? I can guarantee you this, that the author of Ephesians would not ever tell you that it's by your own strength that you can live this way. Let me just ask. I mean, this is a pretty personal question. Do you, do you think that's true? Do you think it's true that by our own strength we can't live like this? I, I do. I mean, I'm horrified by this teaching if I don't have a power source to actually live this way. So I want you to see Galatians 2.20. This is what the Apostle Paul says. I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but what? Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body. I want you to see. Living right now in the space-time continuum. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and, TV time out, have you ever heard the idea that God's grace is wrapped up in gift language? Because once you see it, you can't unsee it. The life I now live in the body, right? The life I live right now, the life you live right now in your body, everybody go like this, in your body, You live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and what? Gave himself for me. Do you see? And so the author says, it's Christ in me. How do I find the power to do it? Uh, The scriptures often speak about the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Everyone who turns from sin and turns to Jesus, Jesus says yes to, and he gives to them his spirit, which indwells within us. And when we, in those moments, in those uh, difficult situations, in those morning prayers, when we say, 
God, I give myself to you. What good gifts do you have for me? He will give us the strength in the moment. Philippians 2.13. It is not, and this is one of the great mysteries of Jesus, that Jesus is not only the gift who's given himself for us. He's not only the one who taught us and who lived and who died and who rose from the dead. He's the one who dwells within us. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. How do we live a life like Jesus? By giving ourselves over to his spirit within us and trusting his power to give us the strength moment by moment to live this life of good gifts that he has for us. And so when we pray, Lord, Father, what good gifts do you have for me today? We recognize that many of those are going to be difficult circumstances. By the way, did Jesus ever face difficult circumstances? So living like Jesus being followers of Jesus, we can assume that we're also going to face difficult, painful circumstances. And just like Jesus, though, we are empowered by the Spirit to move through them. And when we look back on many of them, we will see them as good gifts that God had prepared ahead of time for us to walk in. And so, church family, know this, that Jesus loves you more than you can ever imagine. He is nearer to you than you are to yourself. He knows you more intimately than you know your own self. He says yes to everyone who turns to him. And he calls you to live like him. And he is prepared ahead of time. Before you are knit together in your mother's womb, he has prepared good works for you to walk in. Opportunities to mimic Jesus and to look for Jesus and to watch when he shows up. And these are not burdens, ultimately. These are blessings. These are good gifts that God has for you. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read Philippians uh, 2. I think this is one of the most profound portions of Scripture um, that speaks to this reality by elevating who Jesus is and then calling us to live. And so I'm going to ask you, we're not going to do anything weird. I'm just going to read it. I'm going to ask you to meditate on it. uh, And then we're going to conclude. But I would ask that if it's helpful to you, if you would want to close your eyes, maybe free your mind from any distractions, And I'm going to read out loud Philippians 2, 1 through 15, and I'm just going to ask uh, you to listen. And my prayer is that in this moment that the Spirit of God would speak to you. And if that sounds weird, uh, I just want to encourage you that we follow a God who became flesh, who was crucified, was died, buried, and rose from the grave, who conquered over Satan, sin, and death. He could totally speak to you right now. And so maybe even ask, Jesus, what do you have to say to me now through your word? And then I'll conclude uh, praying for us. If then there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, Make my joy complete by thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should look out not only for their own interests, but also for the interests of others. 
adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who, existing in the form of God, did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant, taking on the likeness of humanity. And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even to death on a cross. And it is for this reason that God highly exalted him and gave him the name above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my dear friends, just as you have always obeyed, so now, not only in my presence, but even more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing so that you may be blameless and pure. Children of God, faultless in a crooked and perverted generation, among whom you shine like stars in the world. It is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Would you join me as we pray? Lord, we see in your word that you not only freely give us your grace, the gift of your own self, salvation, life abundant, reconciliation with you, but you call us to live lives transformed by that grace. And we see, Lord, that you have prepared day by day, moment by moment, our lives ahead of us, giving to us opportunities to do good work, to live, Jesus, as you lived, even in difficult moments. And so, Spirit of God, would you refresh us in this moment? Would you help each one of us to see how it is that you are calling us to live in light of this truth right now, this week, and this month. That we might be a people who in hope-filled anticipation ask, Father, what good gifts do you have in store for me today? And by the power of your spirit that we might walk in them. Jesus, we ask these things knowing that you love us and you are powerful to bring them about and so we entrust ourselves to you. And it's in your name we pray, amen. Amen. Church family, thank you so much. Jesus loves you more than you could ever imagine. Hope to see you again soon, hopefully next Sunday. See you then.